It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. Big show today. Dr. Lewis Cole um, from Hennepin Healthcare, an interventional cardiologist, will join me here in a little while to help us kind of uh, kind of sort through the the science and the the you know the medicine of what might have happened to Demar Hamlin a few nights ago on the football field when the Buffalo Bills safety went into cardiac arrest. Um, you know, Dr. Cole, a lot of experience with similar types of things, can help us kind of understand what might have happened there and give us some perspective going forward. So really enjoyed a conversation I had with him and wanted to share that with you. Um, some drama with U.S. soccer. I'll get to that at the end of the show. My goodness, this is better than a soap opera, although a lot more serious than a lot of soap opera plot lines might be. Um, got to check in on the wild here in a minute. Some thoughts on head coach Dean Evison and the job he's doing this year. First, though, what did I miss? Wolf win their second straight game. 113-106 over Portland at Target Center. D'Angelo Russell back in the starting lineup after his <coughs> illness the other day um, in their victory over the Nuggets. But D'Lo does not play the last nine minutes of this game. He, uh, he the, Chris Finch goes with the closing lineup that includes a couple of guys that maybe weren't necessarily, you know, st- aren't necessarily always starters, including Torian Prince. Um, he had uh, he had Austin Rivers out on the floor. Wanted more of a kind of a defensive style of lineup. Had Rudy Gobert out there, of course, Anthony Edwards and uh, and Kyle Anderson. A lot of versatility there. A lot of playmaking. A lot of takeover in that game from Ant. He was tremendous down the stretch. I think he had 13 points in the last five minutes of the game. But the thing that kind of stuck with me from this game is this kind of sudden notion that you should play your best players, not necessarily your best players, you should play the players who are playing the best that night, who give you the best chance to win at the end of the game. Why is that a novel concept? I'm not sure, but it seems like it certainly was some somewhat for the Wolves this year that they had their they had their starters, they had their five that they were going to go with at the end of the game, no matter who was playing well at the end. That seems to have changed. Let's hear from Chris Finch and a little back and forth he had with Timberwolves beat writer Chris Hine uh, after after Wednesday's win. That closing group did not include D'Lo. Is that more of that group was just giving you what you what you needed in that moment more than an indictment on what D'Lo wasn't? Or yeah, I don't, it was it was certainly I don't think there was nothing anti-D'Lo about the way we closed the game. Um, for me, it came down to stops. You know, those two guards are so explosive, and like we 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 knew going in that we, at some point we were going to switch the matchups, and um, we wanted to be a heavy switch team, and we wanted to con- control the perimeter and and have Rudy controlling the paint, um, and that lineup gave gave us the best chance to do that. So. Is that is that just kind of the mantra going forward? Is Heck yeah. What, yeah. whatever, yeah. Wh- whatever combination on a nightly basis gives you the best chance to yeah. win is going to be out there. Hundred percent. Yeah. And ta- you know, I've said that. I thought D'Lo did a really good job on Simons all night. I thought he chased him. I thought everything that he got against them was hard. Um, yeah, I thought he was really good. So a um, that's good. I think you should be doing that. I think that's a good way to approach um, an end of game situation, right? And it's kind of unique um, or unusual to basketball to a certain degree that you would have a a closing lineup or that you would have you know different you know different designations you know baseball you know some some sports you can't you know once a guy comes out of the game you can't bring him back into the game baseball you're kind of kind of stick with mostly the same players you might pinch hit you might have some strategy 
football, you're rotating guys in all the time, but you probably have your kind of set lineup. You're not going to bring in a surprise quarterback probably for for a final play or a, or a different you know a different wide receiver. You're not going to ride a hot hand so much in football. In hockey, you're just changing things so much all the time. Soccer, again, the substitution thing where you once you come out, you can't come back in at least at the highest levels. Basketball is unique where you've got a lot of guys playing a lot of different minutes over the course of a game, and you can kind of see a game flow. You can kind of see how things are developing over the course of the game. And in this game, the Wolves were a lot of times at their best when they had a lineup that could switch on defense, when they had a lineup where Anthony Edwards was the one with the ball in his hands. And that might be their best closing lineup when it, where Anthony Edwards is in attack mode, can make plays, can take shots, can take it to the basket, can get them into the things they need to get into um, without having D'Angelo Russell sometimes kind of slow things down or look for his own game-winning shots. I know D'Angelo Russell has been a very clutch shooter in end-of-game situations. That's great. I think maybe there'll be a place for him at some point here, although it also begs the question of as the trade deadline approaches, what is his role? What is his fit? He's on an expiring contract. Is that something that eventually gets moved before the deadline as he maybe moves further down the pecking order i don't know the bigger the bigger point i want to make is it it took them half a season to get to this point and that's a little bit alarming i think they could have gotten to this point sooner maybe chris finch didn't feel emboldened to do this maybe he didn't feel like he should be kind of tinkering too much with the star pecking order or whatnot i'm glad he got there or seems to have gotten there at this point um you know by kind of by needing to the other night against denver with 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 players out including D'Angelo Russell for that uh, for that uh, specified illness um, they had to kind of play a, a rotation with a lot of guys who hadn't been playing a lot and they did have the freedom to kind of do whatever they want with the lineup this time it was more intentional where you know D'Angelo Russell just doesn't get off the bench for the final nine minutes and they close out that game strong with the win so I will be interested to see how this looks going forward and I'm a little disappointed it took them this long to get to this point it's maybe not a magic kind of thing but it seems like a practical element in sports right the best players who are playing the best at the end of the game should finish the game and maybe the wolves have finally figured that out let's move to the wild a very impressive win over tampa bay on a wednesday 5-1 up and down the lineup kalen addison was awesome had a hand in i believe their first three goals including an absolute rocket from the point to give them a three nothing lead kirill kaprizov scored a couple times he's been tremendous Really good goaltending again from Philippe Gustafsson, who's really found a stride lately. Looks like he's, you know, giving them something more than just backup minutes. That he got some prime time, you know, prime time action against a, against a very good Tampa Bay team and held up quite nicely in this game. Bigger takeaway for me from this game is something I've been thinking about for a while. Dean Evison, head coach of the Wild, is uh, rising in my estimation, in my esteem among local head coaches as uh, as far as how good he is at maximizing the talent around him, the talent he has to work with, and the different styles he can play. This team got off to a horrendous start this year, giving up goals left and right, looking like this could be a major tumble from where they were a season ago when they set a team record with 113 points, scored a lot of goals last season, had a lot of you know kind of dramatic comebacks, but you know what? They had a lot more scoring depth last year with Kevin Fiala in the lineup really anchoring that second line. This year, they don't necessarily have that. They've got Kaprizov, and they've got a bunch of other contributors, but so they have to kind of tighten up a little bit, not uh, you know not play this you know, a boring style by any means, but they have to tighten things up a little bit, play a little bit differently in order to find their groove, and they absolutely have been able to do that. To get the buy-in from players 
to be able to do that, to, to have a team that can adjust and you can say, hey guys, we need to play this way now in order to win. It might be a little bit of growing pains, but we're going to change some things up. We're going to tweak some things along the way and we need to get ourselves out of this funk. And they've been tremendous lately, really moving up the standings, really looking like a team that will be you know, making a strong push again to be in the playoffs and maybe looking like a team that could, you know, with this style might be more more suited to perform in the postseason. And that'll be the big test for this team and Dean Evison. Can they get over the hump? Can they win a playoff series or two? Now, sometimes that comes down to luck, flukes, things like that. They've been right there at various points the last two seasons and haven't gotten it done. They'll probably need to do that soon in order to feel good about themselves, to feel good about their trajectory. But to get from where they were at the start of the season to where they are right now is impressive to me. And I think we need to give Dean Evison some, some kudos. He's, he's one of the best coaches in this market. He's, you know, I mean, we, we've got some, he's, he's got some competition for sure. There's some good coaches in this market. You can look at what Kevin O'Connell's done at being 12 and four already this season in his first year. Cheryl Reeve has won four championships with the Lynx. We're not going to, you know, disregard that or discredit that. I'm just saying Dean Evison is rising in my estimation in terms of the, what he gets out of players and what this wild team has been able to accomplish this season because it did not look good at the beginning and it looks very good right now take a playcation to mystic lake with 24 7 gaming the good times never have to end and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms those that play together stay together and don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I am very happy to be joined today by Dr. Lewis Cole, cardiologist, interventional cardiologist with Hennepin Healthcare. He's going to help us hopefully understand a little bit more about what happened to DeMar Hamlin a few days ago and what the recovery for the Buffalo Bills safety looks like. Um, Dr. Lou, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sorry to be here under these sort of sad circumstances, but it's a good chance to perhaps provide some education about hearts and cardiology to sports fans and listeners out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Appreciate any expertise you have, um, which you have plenty of, obviously. Now, it's hard to know. You know we've kind of gotten bits and pieces of what happened, what might have happened uh, along the way after what we saw Monday night with DeMar Hamlin you know, suffering a cardiac arrest on the field during Monday night football. Um, I, would, I don't want to put you in a spot where you're trying to diagnose without full information, but given what we know and what you saw and what kind of how these things tend to happen, what, what, what do you believe or what, what, what have you witnessed so far or processed as to what did happen Monday night that, that led to this? Yeah, and I, I agree. It's it's hard to know without being there and having a full understanding of the information. But I think little bits and pieces have trickled out. I think reading, watching what's available on the internet as far as the clips of what happened, folks were definitely doing CPR. So you had a cardiac arrest. Um, I think I read a blurb on SI.com that Frank Clint said a friend Clint sent me and they talked about using an automated external defibrillator or AED, which would suggest he probably had an arrhythmia that caused his heart to stop. And once we know those things, we suspect that this is probably in a more narrow range of possibilities. 
Um, the most likely is probably a thing called commotio cordis, which is just a fancy medical term for getting hit just perfectly in the most unlucky way possible in the chest, in the center of the chest, at a time in your cardiac cycle where it can trigger a rapidly trigger an arrhythmia called ventricular fibrillation that causes the heart to rather than beat in a coordinated fashion, just sort of quaver there and not send any blood out to the body. And it's, it's a rare but real process. I've seen this speculated about by other cardiologists. I'm not alone in this in reading sure. ESPN and New York Times and whatnot. Um, it's, it's an interesting process because our body has a little residual blood pressure in it. And when you develop ventricular fibrillation, the heart is not moving any blood forward, but just like turning off the hose, there's still a little water that's coming out of the, turning off the tap, there's a little water that's coming out of the end of the hose for a sure. few seconds. And that's very similar to what we saw with, with Damar Hamlin in that he made the tackle, he got hit in the chest. He was able to actually stand up for a second and then in a very scary, concerning way, just fell over like he wasn't getting any blood flow anymore. And that's, the time frame would be right. And what seems kind of shocking about this, and I think you alluded to it, I mean, football players take big hits all the time. This, this did not seem like something that was anything out of the ordinary. Um, so, you know, you said rare, but real. I mean, how, how do you kind of characterize kind of you you kind of described the the perfect storm of what has to happen for something like this um i mean how rare would that be i've seen like this this doesn't happen very often no it doesn't i've i've seen um estimates of handfuls a dozen two dozen thirty of these cases a year that are reported and it happens in all sorts of funny situations um it does have to be a perfect storm you have to get hit right in the right place and probably more importantly, you have to get hit at just the perfect time. There's a very narrow window on the order of milliseconds when your heart is a little vulnerable electrically. And if you hit it there just right at the just right time, it can trigger this arrhythmia. And you hear about these things every once in a while. Kid gets hit in the chest with a baseball or a softball. I was the athletic yesterday had a review of things like this where people have had yeah. cardiac arrests during live sporting events. And interestingly, a lot of them were actually hockey. There was the biggest number. It was still a small number, three or four or five during right. hockey, but sort of that same concept. You get hit just perfect with a hard wrist or whatever, right in the chest, right at that right time. And it can cause this. And it doesn't have to be a crazy jarring biggest hit of all time kind of thing that you suggested. I, you know, I think he's just very, very unlucky to have this happen. And then what we also don't know is, was there some substrate right. in Hamlin's case that predisposed him to this? Right. Um, um, so I, yeah, I think you referenced our mutual friend, Clint Roberts, who's been um, getting getting in both of our ears about this story but it's it's a fascinating story and i'm glad he is this was more or less his question asking what's the process for trainers first responders doctors when something like this happens because obviously you got to imagine the first seconds minutes in a case like this and you know a football nfl game is probably a 
you know, you never want this to happen, but there's a lot of people who are right there to help with the right equipment, but it's right. got to happen fast, right? It does. And, and it, that was the very heartening thing about this that we saw on the replays and on the TV is that folks were out there immediately. It was clear to everyone on the field that whatever happened was really bad. Folks just don't fall over backwards like that for no reason. Um, the, the EMTs, the paramedics, and the medical personnel on the field really rapidly went into what we think of as the chain of survival assessing what's going on, at least at a rudimentary level to start, checking whether Damar was breathing, whether he had a pulse. And once they've established those things, I think it looked like they got to doing CPR right away, which is what we want to happen to make sure that there is some blood flow to the body and most importantly, the brain Okay. Um, in those as fast as humanly possible, really, until we can do some interventions to hopefully restore a normal heartbeat. In CPR is quite good, but and it's very important for perfusing the body, getting oxygen to all the parts. But really, there needs to be a second part of that. And it sounds like they used one of these AED devices, a defibrillator. Mm -hmm. This little computerized machine they hook up with these big pads, sort of like the paddles on right. full-time ER. That's yeah. exactly what it is, except it's got a little computer brain inside it. Does it all the that does all the work for you? And it determined that he was in a rhythm that could be treated with a, an electrical shock. And frequently, if the rhythm is ventricular fibrillation, one or two shocks can restore a normal heart rate. And that's one of the things for folks who are out there. If you see someone pass out and you're at a place where there is an AED, call 911 to get medical personnel there. But if you are unsure, there's someone around who thinks the patient doesn't have a pulse, go get that AED thing and put it on the person. You don't have to be a highly specialized medical person to use okay. that. It does the work for you. They're really smart. Wow. Interesting. Um, now, Obviously, again, kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, I don't want you to diagnose without full yeah. information, but you know, generally speaking, what do you imagine has transpired the last couple of, you know, two, three days in, in the recovery? And we've heard even, you know, as of Wednesday, the family saying things are moving in a positive direction. We're starting to hear at least little bits of good information, but what do you think has gotten into that point and, and what's still going on right now? You know, the typical thing when someone suffers a cardiac arrest outside the hospital is we get them perform CPR, high quality CPR is the really great medical professionals did in that circumstance, get him transported rapidly to a hospital and stabilize him as they did to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Frequently, in cases like this, where the person doesn't just wake up immediately, it can happen, but it doesn't sound like it did in this case. Um, frequently, what will happen is they'll actually cool the body down to about 90 degrees. Interesting. Okay. We're up to 48 hours. And the concept behind that is that with the body cooler, the metabolic processes are slower and there's less potential damage to the body. It lets the body focus its kind of all of its resources on the brain and healing. And that actually came out of folks who had hypothermia, fell in cold lakes and rivers, and they found that they could be um, cold, 
and without breathing or a heartbeat for much longer periods of time than people who are warm. Interesting. So that's kind of our standard of care these days. Usually that that takes that process of cooling the person down. There'd usually be a breathing tube inserted to help them help them breathe during that period. They're probably in a kind of sedated because that's an uncomfortable process. That happens, that transpires for a day or two, and then we sort of dial those all back. And it's not super fancy, but we check and see if the person is opening their eyes and responding to commands and sure. so forth and so on. And I, I would imagine we're probably at about that point. The game was on Monday was, night, yeah. Um, Monday night, and we're Wednesday. And so I would like to imagine having my fingers crossed for Damar and his family that tomorrow or even Friday, we start to hear even more positive signs that maybe he's waking up, maybe he's getting a breathing tube out. That would be a sort of a best case scenario. So I guess that, that kind of leads my next question, like timing wise, then, you know, it's hard to say like, when are you out of the woods or when is it, when are you okay? Or you know, I'm, I'm sure the process is still ongoing, but you kind of sounds like those next steps would be, you know, if, if Thursday or Friday, there was, you know, kind of a next step there where he was, you know, awake and, and kind of getting into that mode. Is that what we're looking for? And then what, what beyond that? Yeah. I, you know, I think the, the brain is still a mystery to us. And I think people who should have a great neurologic outcome should wake up and survive. Don't sometimes. And folks for all, for all accounts should not have a chance wake up sometimes, but we just sort of need to wait on the brain. I would expect, hope that in the next day or two we hear that he's waking up um he has being a 24 year old pro athlete on his side that i imagine the physical toll of this which will be immense even for a pro football player will take a toll on him but really hoping that his brain recovers and is working normally it would be great to hear that by the weekend he's awake and then we get to some important, but some maybe more pedestrian, making sure everything's okay, checking some boxes to make sure that yeah. nothing else has happened, probably some testing to figure out how to prevent this from happening. Again, some cardiac testing, sometimes we do cardiac MRIs and heart ultrasounds and things like that, depending on what is uncovered in the early stages of evaluation. A couple more thoughts for you, um, Dr. Lewis Cole, enjoying this conversation from Hennepin Healthcare, interventional cardiologist, um, you know, former player and ESPN analyst Ryan Clark tweeted, I think Tuesday, the next snap of a football will be one of the scariest snaps we have ever watched. Will this play alter the way you watch football? I mean, it, it just kind of feels like we're all kind of in this space where like, wow, what that what just happened and can this happen again kind of space? Yeah. I, I think I am sort of a nerd to this because I right. see stuff not exactly like this, but things not dissimilar to this frequently. Um, I think that this will be very much in people's minds for a while. I think reinforcing that this was an unfortunate and rare thing probably no different than getting hit by a bus or getting hit by lightning um, is how I would frame it to other folks. I don't, there's 
probably a, as great a risk of head and neck injuries from football sure. as there is from this really unusual cardiac event. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to change how, how I watch football, but again, I'm, I am a nerd too. So I, I see crazy cardiac stuff every yeah. day, but if I was a young pro athlete who felt invincible because I'm a yeah. pro athlete and one of my colleagues essentially had a brief moment of what is honestly died briefly on the football field that would be in my brain and that would be potentially hard to hard to get over for a time I guess my last thought then is I think I maybe know how you're going to approach this question based on what you just said but you know this is a this happened in an NFL game you know a lot of you know, lower level youth, high school, college, you know, there's good support all around. There's, you know, sometimes there's you know, medical personnel, devices, staff there, but, you know, parents of players at any level, football, whatever it might be, might be reading some of these same things you're reading. We're like, Hey, this is rare, but it does happen. You get hit in the chest with something um, and probably have some safety concerns. They maybe never had before. What, what would you say to, to someone who's saying um, now, now, now all of a sudden I have one more thing to worry about. I, I I can't take that worry away from those folks. And I think that's a very valid concern, but I, I wouldn't view this as a thing that changes the overall risk of contact sports. And I'm saying that in the broadest terms, whether sure. it's hockey or football or honestly soccer or baseball or softball, stuff, stuff does happen. And I, I think this, unfortunately for Mr. Hamlin, very much goes into the super unfortunate chain of events, but doesn't suggest maybe unlike head injuries, doesn't suggest that somehow football is more dangerous or extra dangerous, or this is some kind of hidden thing that we haven't appreciated before. So I, gotcha. I would try to reassure folks, but at, at the end of the day, folks, I think have to use their own good judgment or what they're comfy about and comfy with. Um, that makes sense. We'll be following this story as it <clears throat> goes along, as I suppose you will as well. Uh, Dr. Lewis Cole, appreciate your time so much today and enjoy the rest of uh, the snowy week we have and uh, and take care. All right. Thanks so much, Michael, for having me. Thanks again to Dr. Lewis Cole, Dr. Lou, as uh, we may might call him informally. Uh, great job breaking that down for us, kind of offering some perspective on what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Not a ton of updates Thursday morning from what I can see yet, but like uh, like Dr. Cole said, you know, maybe looking for some signs Friday over the weekend that things are progressing. So we'll be kind of watching for that and hoping for that, sending good energy his way um, and obviously hoping for the best. We talked about this quite a bit on the Access Vikings podcast as well. That went live Wednesday afternoon, some really good thoughts from uh, Andrew Kramer and Ben Gessling, who cover the Vikings and have some you know deeper perspectives on the sport. So I hope you will check out that podcast as well. Let's finish with the cooler, some drama, intrigue, um, soap opera style, U.S. soccer, um, the Reyna family, Danielle Reyna, Claudio Reyna, former national team member, and their son, um, Gio it caught up in this interesting uh, swirl with head coach, uh, the head coach of the national team, uh, Greg Berhalter, 
Basically, they did not like the way Gio Reyna's playing time and some comments about uh, from, from Berhalter were, were made about Gio Reyna at the World Cup. And essentially, I don't know if it's blackmail. I, I wouldn't use that word. Um, but but that was kind of a tipping point for them to go to U.S. soccer and reveal some things from Greg Berhalter's past uh, regarding a domestic situation when he was 18 with uh, a woman who is now his wife. And this is just getting messy, messy, messy with U.S. soccer coming off of, you know, a reasonably successful World Cup. I would say they got through the round, you know, got through to got through group play. And, you know, Greg Berhalter silenced some critics in that regard. And now just coming right off of that, obviously a completely different thing. But another thing for U.S. soccer to say, we can we get our act together? How will this be resolved? You know, one of the up-and-coming stars of this national team, Gio Reyna, right in the middle of this all with the head coach. So I'll be interested to see how this plays out. This is very, very delicate, very messy. Um, don't really know what more to say about it at this point, other than there's some drama, some intrigue, and uh, doesn't seem like it will uh, doesn't seem like it'll go away really fast. That's for sure. That'll do it for today. By the way, hope you guys are having a, a Okay, uh, okay, snowy second, uh, second, third, whatever we are in of the uh, of the snow time here, trying to piece it all together, trying to make it work, trying to stay safe out there. I'm doing the same. Should have Ben Gessling on Friday show to talk Vikings heading down the stretch here, last regular season game, gearing up for the playoffs in a little over a week. So I'm sure he'll have plenty of perspectives to share with you on Friday show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.